Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 25 of the Yankshaft F1 podcast. Group of American dudes who like watching other dudes drive really fast. Joining me this week, we've got a very, very special guest, uh, Lucas Geisler from uh, ABC 17 in Columbia, Missouri. He is the, uh, you're, you're used to talking to larger audiences than, than us, so I'll let you give yourself a proper intro. Oh, I don't know about larger audiences. I think you're selling yourself a little short here on the on the crowd with the Yang Chef podcast. Yeah, so I'm a, thank you for the introduction. Thank you for having me, Curtis. Uh, yeah, I'm Lucas. I live in, uh, in middle Missouri. I'm a news anchor at ABC 17 News in Columbia, Missouri. And um, yeah, that's kind of where I've, I've been ever since I graduated college at the University of Missouri. And uh, where I met the lovely co-host of the Yank Chef podcast as well, Curtis Bottoms there. Yes, dropping the, uh, you know, the, the, the curtain there. We are, we're uh, longtime colleagues um, over there in, in mid-Missouri. And, you know, we do have, we do have a lot of uh, listeners in Belgium. And many people, many people say that mid-Missouri is the Belgium of the United States. I, 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 I have heard that um, mostly from my mouth. But let's, Let's get right into this. You've so you know, I know you've been watching some stuff on on, you know, I, I lent you my F1 TV login. Um, if you're listening, F1, that that did not happen. But you know, I know you've been getting more into the into the sport. So I guess just kind of talk about your your history with Formula One. When did you when did you start watching? Is this a recent thing? Yeah, definitely a recent thing. I before this year, I probably couldn't have told you a single thing about Formula One, what it is, who participates in it, what the point of it is. I don't, I don't know that I could have answered any of those questions before 2021. Um, I, I won't lie. I don't think I even knew what sport Michael Schumacher participated in until this year. Like, it's so strange to kind of look back at all of the names of the racers that I've heard of before, but never I, I never made the actual connection that they were Formula One racers. Like, so Michael Schumacher is a name that for people like me, I'm 30 years old. You grow up hearing about Michael Schumacher because he's this just incredible racer. He's, uh, you know, holding all of these records um, during the time that he was racing. So I was familiar like with names like his, but had never, ever thought like, what, what does he participate in? What does he actually do? Not until this year did I like I actually finally make that connection. So probably what finally got me to to pay attention to this was honestly just word of mouth. It's one of it's probably one of the most powerful ways that, you know, any brand, any sport gets itself in front of people is just people talking about it to their friends and getting them interested in it. And I think I, I've always had a couple friends who were always into it that I always knew were into it. Uh, one of them being you, Curtis, and uh, having another friend who was very into it. And they would always talk about, you know, I, I would always hear about the, the latest race and what they were watching, what they were doing. They always kind of thought about it. It always sounded interesting, but I did. I never knew if racing was really for me. I, I never really like thought like it, th that's just not in America. We have NASCAR and it always, right. It, it's always the joke. Like, Oh, as long as you can turn left, like yeah, you're good. No, NASCAR, NASCAR never did it for me. So I had the same apprehension towards formula one of like, I'm, I don't think of, I don't think I'm a race fan, you know, because I'd only right. really been exposed to NASCAR. Yeah. So I didn't really know if racing was going to be it for me, but honestly, it just, it had reached a critical mass amongst like people I know and my friends talking about it, probably in no small part to drive to survive. 
Uh, I just it's popularity on Netflix and having a show that could show people what racing's about, that could explain racing to like a casual, just a, a casual viewer, but also help it like, you know, as, as narrative television is supposed to do, creating storylines for people to get hooked on and understand the characters, so to speak, in it. Like that sort of exposes a whole new audience of like, that's a way that people can sort of digest sports and watch sports without the typical, like when you watch a live race, it's very much dedicated to what's happening in the race. Um, so it just had reached a point where so many people in my life were talking about it. I just thought it's just time to do it. It's just time to finally start watching these races. So that's kind of how I got, uh, got into it in, in the, this season, particularly. So was it, was it strange when you started watching, watching the, well, I guess, first of all, did, did you watch drive to survive before you started watching the real races? I actually did it. I I've, I've seen, I think three episodes of the latest season of drive Mm -hmm. to survive. So I, my thought on drive to survive, I thought it was like, um, a hard knocks type show. I thought it was one where they would release an episode, like a quick edit episode showing the previous Sunday and how that went. So in like, in that style, Mm. I didn't know that drive to survive was like just a seat that did the last season. So I tuned in, I was like, okay, I'll go watch and let's see what happened. Uh, Oh, I can't wait to watch, uh, to see like the, the British Grand Prix episode. Like I would love, I'd love to see that. And then I see it's, Oh, it's all the previous year. It's all, it's none of what I thought it was. So I've watched a few episodes of it. Um, and I think it's, I think it is very interesting. I think it's very well done in being able to explain some of the, um, maybe not intricacies, but just some of the rules of F1. Like, what do all these terms mean? Like, what do all these words mean that we're talking about? Um, so I, I, it is really interesting, but honestly, I haven't watched, I've only watched a few episodes of it so far. Yeah, no, I think I think the the strength of Drive to Survive is like you said, kind of making it it more accessible. You know, they'll 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 do that dramatic pan shot of of you know Christian Horner, Will Buxton, you know, with just half of their face lit, you know, explaining, you know, in in Formula One, DR the DRS zone opens, you know, here, and that's where you got to do your overtaking. And it's like it's you're so invested in what you're watching, and then they're trying they're like teaching you these little things. Yeah. Yeah. Even just explaining what a yellow flag means. Yeah. There's a whole, there's a whole thing where Lewis Hamilton gets a penalty for not slowing down a yellow flag, but they spend time explaining what is a yellow flag and what are you supposed to do? And how do they show the drivers on the track that there's a yellow flag? And it's, it's all of that that sort of combines into making it like, Oh, they're finally making this not fine. Maybe not finally, but they're making this sport accessible to an audience that may not know anything about it. So Curtis, I always think the, like the standard in my mind of explaining to a casual audience how a sport works to get them invested is how ESPN did uh, the World Series of Poker. They would start every episode. I don't know if you remember the height of the World Series of Poker sort of phenomenon. There, vaguely, like vaguely. I remember the ESPN pocket cam, you know, that's- 2004, that yeah, right. Chris and Moneymaker? Yeah, the Chris Moneymaker, first winner, at least that I remember on there. Um, they started every episode. They would do almost like a cold open where they would set the scene for the day. And then they would explain. It was like a, like a two-minute or three-minute uh, segment where they just explained how Texas Hold'em works. They explained every term. 
what you need and how you win. And in my mind, that is the standard. Every sort of, if you are not one of four major sports, at least in, for a United States viewing audience, you need to remember that. You, you have just got to take a second. If that's the audience you're trying to court is a casual fan audience, you've just got to take a second to explain to somebody how it works. And I think Drive to Survive in a way does that, but almost in a narrative fashion. They're, they like, while the, while the race is going on, they're also explaining some of these things to set it up. So, I mean, credit, at least in the few episodes I, that I've seen, credit to that team for, um, for just getting people to understand how this whole thing works. Yeah, most definitely. Their, their biggest knock on them has been that they have occasionally stirred up some drama that didn't actually exist. You know, they take a, a few creative liberties with, uh, with some of the storylines and the rivalries and all that. But that's fine because it gets people into it. Like, and, it, and if they start watching the sport, they'll realize that, that Carlos Sainz and Lando Norris don't really hate each other, but it kept <laughs> them watching. Um, you, it, it's great that you, you went to that point about the, the World Series of Poker because one of the questions I wanted to ask you was what else can Formula One do to, um, you know, continue to expand in America, but also just kind of continue to expand in general to a, a new fan base that might not understand this stuff. And that, that was a great idea. I was going to ask, you know, maybe having, you know, bringing in some celebrities to do some, you know, like videos explaining how stuff works. Like, is there any, is there anything else beyond, because uh, I think it's a great idea, the, a little like intro setup where you're not gatekeeping the sport anymore. You know, like baseball kind of has that problem where they, they, they won't explain to you what's happening. You're just like, hey, if you're watching baseball, you know what's up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what. But it's all about the audience you're trying to reach. Like the question is, is, is baseball trying to reach people who don't know what baseball is? And if well, maybe that's they not should it, be, but. <laughs> and maybe, but, and if, if that's not it, then you, you don't need to explain how, like how you get it out at second base um, or anything like that. Or what, like in the infield fly. Also, it would is. take, it would take an hour to explain the rules of baseball. Yeah. Right. Forever. Written and unwritten. Too. Yeah. So you need to have a segment of a whole separate too. section. Yeah, a whole separate thing. So I I wonder as far as formula. So I'm I'm always just a big fan of like as long if you just take time to explain how it works, I'll I'll like that because then I'll I'll pick up on it just by watching it from there. Um, as far as like what else they could do, and it, not using me as like you know I'm representative of the entire like of like United States market that you're probably trying to tap into at least I that's my theory on what you know F1 is at least trying to do is cultivate that audience and see if there's you know if there's money there to be made um I would also say probably hmm, if if they could just I don't know how deep you would need to get into it but on different things, like ex explaining how somebody could overtake another driver, because you see all the different moves, at least that could be made. Like, what's your strategy when you're out there? Because my thought is, it, it, my thought is when I'm watching, well, why don't they, why doesn't every driver just try to pass somebody? Like, why do we spend so many laps just everyone stays in the same place and they're all just going and you get one move in like every five laps or something. And I know that's an exaggeration, but in my mind, I'm like, if I was in 20th place, I would, I would simply just drive faster. 
I would just simply go faster and try to pass everybody. And obviously there's, there's, there's obviously far more to it than that. And there's lots of different variables you have to take into account. How's the other, how are the other people driving? How's your car handling? What are your skills as a driver? And I guess I'm just left after every race wondering why did why did this person not try to move up more? Why did this person like why why is this driver just in 19th place the entire race? And not only the, this entire race, but they're in 19th place every single race that I watch. So I guess I'm just always maybe some explanation as to um, what elements need to exist for you to even pass another driver? Like what, as a driver, what are you looking for to make a move and to try to, you know, to try to move up in the race? That's one thing I'm sort of always left wondering uh, at the end of everything. And, um, and maybe that would be helpful just to help, you know, to, to get people more interested too, in looking for that themselves to like looking for that race, that moment where it's like, Oh, the inside is open and the driver can go there or can move to the outside um, and how, what, what are the, what are the advantages and disadvantages of that? So in the case of like, you know, the, the Haas team who are like in 19th and 20th, I, th I think the well, main reason that obvious who I was talking about, was it that obvious who I was talking about? They don't pass because they simply cannot go faster. Um, I believe is the problem. And, and I guess a lot of it is that not you uh, specifically, but, but, you know, you have to remember in general, like these cars are worth millions of dollars. Like, so, you know, going for an overtake in a, in a video game and you get it a little bit wrong. And, you know, if you go for it in a race and you don't get it, well, you just cost your team millions of dollars. And now all those mechanics who you're friends with and work at work with every day, they have to stay up until seven in the morning, hopefully fixing what you just did so that you can maybe get out for the next session. And like, in the, you know, in the next day, um, if, you know, if you've been it in qualifying or, or practice, um, and the other interesting element I wanted to talk about was uh, DRS, the drag reduction system, um, where, you know, if you're within one second of the car ahead of you, the flap opens and you gain 10 to 15 kilometers per hour um, on the straightaways. And that's where the majority of overtaking is done in Formula One now. And a lot of people think that, that it kind of ruined racing, like as we know it, because you're not people aren't going for gaps anymore you're waiting you're trying to stay close enough to somebody until you get to the drs zone and then you're just through um jensen button who i believe was like the 2009 world champion um in his book he had like a whole chapter about how drs ruined racing and like no one's instead of trying to line up where you can dive on the inside on someone everyone's just kind of waiting and i do kind of largely agree that like to what you said a lot of the times you just watch the race and it looks like no one's really doing anything. And it's because really they're waiting for a DRS opportunity where they can just get by no problems, no questions asked. And it's, it's a lot more rare that you see um, some more, more nuanced racing, I guess. Um, well, and that's interesting to hear it from, from that perspective. Cause you got, I mean, for me, I don't think anything of it. I, I've only ever known F1 as having the, the drag reduction system and credit to the, I think the broadcast team, I, we can talk about them later if you want and my thoughts there, but the, like the Sky Sports team that I, at least the English speaking one that I mm -hmm. watch, they do a pretty good job of explaining kind of that stuff in the moment too. So like I come away understanding like, all right, this is the tool that they're looking to deploy. Like this is like, here's the element that need that needs to exist here's what will happen when they do it. And then here's the benefit that they get like 
on the other <laughs> end of it. But I think that's interesting to hear like, well, it's not the same as it used to be uh, with that, because I don't I, I don't think anything of it. I always just think like, oh, I bet I guess the other guy needs to worry about getting some space. So this doesn't get used on him. Well, the I mean, the positive is that that you don't get like a lot of circuits just are not great for overtaking. So in the past, you would get, you know, somebody could just hold up the entire field like, you know, where there'd be literally no chance to pass them because it's not wide enough. It just, you know, and and so the point of DRS was to increase the amount of overtakes. You know, it's like baseball was like, you know more runs equals yeah, right. better equals more <laughs> fans. And then formula one was like more overtakes equals better racing equals more fans. And it's kind of worked, you know, like I, I'm not against DRS, but I just wanted to wanted to touch the, on the, the fact that, you know, some other people, you know, former world champions even have, have said that they're not necessarily a, a, a fan of that, but um, Martin or uh, not Martin Brundle, um, who is it? Uh, Crofty and uh, the other guy on uh, on the Sky Sports broadcast. Uh-huh. They do a great job explaining the. Uh, though I guess they've they've bounced around color guys this year. Um, but they do they do a great job explaining DRS at least. They always every race they make a point of, and you could they kind of sound like they're sick of explaining it every race sometimes. But sure, they explain the rules um, on on that very well, and I think they could maybe do a better job of um, of explaining some other other aspects of it especially the one thing i wanted to ask you about was the explaining the like tire strategies like how what's your understanding of that and is there does the sport do a good enough job of of explaining to you what's going on and you know with the one stop two stop and the undercut and the overcut and all that stuff so i think good question on the on the tires because that's that's one thing i've had all year been trying to sort of formulated my mind what they do for the race at the beginning they obviously explain how many laps you can go on these tires before you should think about changing them out and through context of watching other races and watching the strategy as you said of undercutting actually used you just i just sort of get it from that like i I don't really know that i don't really know that i understood what an undercut was because my thought was, why are you going to, into the pit? You're going to lose all these places. Like that just didn't from just my dumb brain watching that. I'm like, you're going to go from first to fourth. Yeah. Are you kidding just me? Willingly. Like, yeah. Like, what are you doing? So I don't think it, it took me a couple of times to realize, oh, but now everyone else is going to have to get in the pit as well. And you're just going to die. The thought is that you'll just move up into first. Yeah. Again and you, you by, they might be losing having. time after right. you've pitted and, and are on fresher tires now. Yeah. So I, I think just watching it, I was able to sort of get what the strategy is, but the one thing, and I, again, I had, it's just sort of been an unsaid thing that I've had to put together is I don't know what the different levels of tire do for you as a racer. Like, what does a soft tire get you versus a hard tire? Other than the fact that the tire is just going to wear out quicker. Well, then why would I ever go with a tire that wears out quicker? That, it, like, without knowing any of that, I just, I just didn't, I never really got it. And I, in fact, I think to this day, I'm still like, okay, soft, fast, hard, slow. That's, that's a set, that's yeah. as good as it, that, that's like as much as I'm able to get from, from what exactly the tires do. And I think that that was uh, kind of the goal of uh, of from Formula One when they they changed to this current tire system because um, 
going back to like even like 2016 um there were like seven sets of tires available there was like an <laughs> ultra soft and a super soft and a soft <laughs> And then going all the way down the line, the the ultra hards and the super, like it was, they ran out of colors in the rainbow to, right. to identify <laughs> these tires. Like there was pink and purple and like, it was, it was absurd. And yeah, the differences between them were so subtle that it was, it was dramatic, but it, it, it was very hard to wrap your head around what was happening. So what the soft tires get you is just more grip. Like it's, the, they allow you to corner better essentially is what it is you can break better you can corner better the car is working more harmoniously on the the softer set of tires that's why you see in qualifying almost always everyone will be on on the softs some tracks though the degradate depending on temperature the track surface the degradation will be so significant that it does it no longer outweighs you know the, the the speed no longer outweighs the you know the the degradation so it's interesting it's always interesting for me when that happens where the soft tire is maybe not the the best tire but i i just i i always think like that the broadcast could do a better job of of kind of explain like they they say how long each tire will go but they never really get into what could happen you know when somebody decides to pick a strategy of oh he's he's coming in for the mediums i wish they would kind of go into a little bit more detail of like oh so this is what i this is what he's going to be trying to do now he might be able to make it to the end on these tires whereas lewis hamilton is going to have to pit they're always kind of like speaking in code or like alluding to 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 mercedes maybe covering their move and something and I've just I've always found it out like I, the amount of texts I've gotten this year asking me to explain tire strategy and how the yeah. tires work is just like absurd. So I I felt like that they they have to do something because I can't I can't keep having the same conversation. <laughs> you can't keep me in the FAQ page for yes. F1. Yeah. <laughs> yes, which is essentially essentially what I've been. Um I, I mean are, are there any other any other major changes that you that you think the sport could benefit from um i mean you know i I, again like you said you're not necessarily like their target audience but you know you are a sports fan in america who has gotten in you know into the sport so just from your perspective of what you know is there anything else kind of obvious to you that sticks out maybe with the the format you know they've been trying the sprint races like is there anything that that obviously just stands out to you is like i don't care about this well i don't i don't know about that i i find I find that this is a, it is a wildly entertaining sport to watch. I'll just say that it is even, I feel like even on its most boring day, it is still, it's still a lot of fun. Like it's still, it's still a lot of fun to watch. Um, I I know there's been some talk. I mean, I know on, on this podcast and just amongst other F1, F1 groups talking about like the sprint qualifying, um, I, I don't know that I even really understand how the usual qualifying format works. That's um, the second most common question I get. Yeah. Like how does that, what, like, what is even like, how does this, any of this work? I think the sprint, the sprint qualifying is at least in a format that's like, Oh, it's a, it's a mini race it's a sprint. It's 20 laps. You just got to go as fast as you can because like, you don't have time to like sit and, you know, formulate a strategy over time. Mm-hmm. So it's at least a format that makes sense. 
I don't know that I love that they give points, championship points out in the sprint. That seems, it, it, it just seems a little, like it throws off the math, right? Like it throws mm-hmm. off, it's like, it's like if, to use the NHL as a, as an analogy, <laughs> it's as if like at the end of preseason, they awarded like points to the teams, like based on how well they did. I was like, I, is that really the, what we're going for with this thing, like awarding championship points because of this? I feel like your the position is still important. Like I don't need another incentive in in the sprint, mm. but it's at least in a format that kind of makes sense. Now, the thing is with the what I guess what would be called the regular format, the timed like how fast can you go? It's taken me a few times to kind of like get it, but I'm slowly getting there, and it is really exciting when you start like watching the times come in and you start like seeing how they're, how they're doing here. The only problem is, is because everyone's going at once you, it doesn't really matter Mm -hmm. what happens until the end. Like it's not until they, you can often fast forward if you're watching it later. Yeah. Right. You just, you just wait for everyone to hit the pit straight and, um, and, and you just check in on the time. And then there. they just boom, boom, boom. That's where the, right. the, like watching the pit lane channel on, on F1 TV, I, that's where I need that for qualifying because it's like, especially if you're a fan of a driver and like, I'm rooting for Charles Leclerc and qualifying, but he's out roughly at the same time as Lewis Hamilton. So they're following his lap the entire time. And I see that Leclerc's out, but I, I won't see him on his lap until he makes the final corner coming to the, exactly. the finish yeah. line. So you need three, you need three different boxes. Like you need, we need picture in picture for, for the main qualifying broadcast. I I have, I have come to that conclusion as far as things I would like to see. They need to, they need to get more, more, uh, more boxes on the, or at least just send one driver out at a time. At at least just send one, have them do a couple, um, like, like one or two warm up laps to get the car going and then hit your flying lap. And then that's what you do. So I don't know how many times you would need to do that to like the problem with that would be but track conditions, weather, um, weather change can change significantly, especially when you get up in the hills of, you know, Austria and Belgium, you know, um, to where the the weather changes so quickly, the the tracks change so quickly. It's just it, it would it would be extremely unfair to make one team go out and do their lap like 12 minutes later. We've seen that in sessions this year where normally the everyone goes out and does a lap at the beginning of the session, right? You post a time, hopefully it's fine, and that gives you a little leeway to maybe push it a little more later because if you go over the line or something, you're still through. But the second lap is always the quick one, the one at the end of the session when everyone's out at the same time. But we've seen this year multiple times where the the last laps were actually slower for you know whatever reason the tires got cold the the track cooled down just because everyone was waiting to go out there there wasn't you know all the rubber out there the what just the weather changing um, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of factors that where it's like no all twenty of these drivers did not just have a worse lap right here like it, it <laughs> the conditions you know affected it. And it's all those little subtleties that make it so so complicated and, and you know, kind of make it hard to to know exactly what's going on sometimes. Yeah. But I, I'll also to to spin that into a positive, it is one of the things that I really have come to like about Formula One as well, is each one of these courses becomes its own sort of like participant in the race. 
Um, and definitely it's a lot of fun to just, at least in my mind, to look at like the different parts of the track, like to look at how each part of it is handled. I mean, some of these courses, they have names for the turns. Yeah. That's incredible. I feel like the only other place that you get that is baseball. Like mm-hmm. baseball in America is Green the only monster. other place. Yeah. Where, exactly. Like the different, the weird hill at Minute Maid Park in Houston, like in, in, in center peace. field. Yeah. Rest in peace to that. And then also like the different things like, you know, McCovey Cove in San mm-hmm. Francisco. I mean, the bridges in, in Pittsburgh, being mm-hmm. able to see those. Like baseball is the only other thing that I think has a similar kind of feel and the, and the dimensions it, like, evokes of, of the, the park. the same feeling. Yeah. yeah. You know, because obviously each track has its own layout and dimensions and everything. And baseball is the only one where it's like, you know, football, all most of these sports, you're playing on a regulation size field and that's it. Right. And baseball where it's like, yeah, you hit a, that, that would have been a fly, a shallow fly ball to left, but all of a sudden that that's hitting off the green monster now, you know, at, at yeah. this park, like it, it changes the way you play. Um, So no, yeah. all, all the becomes, tracks are great like that. And it becomes a cool part of the, a cool part of the sport. Like, oh, we're going to go to, mm-hmm. we're going to go to Monaco where like, oh, this, like we're racing in the streets here, or mm-hmm. uh, like, we're going to go to, like, we're going to go to uh, Brazil where, oh, you know, it's got this really great turn here. Like, remember this historic mm-hmm. moment at this turn, like that's it's that kind of great stuff that adds to sort of like the, the almost like the mystique of the sport. And you always wonder like, are are we going to get a classic moment this year at this sort of like, you know, unique part of the track? Whereas like, as you, like in, in the NFL, you're like, the only difference you'll get is like, is there a cool hot tub that you can sit in and watch? The yes. Game which yes, there is here. Yes, we do have, <laughs> we do have a unique hot tub. Um, I guess technically um, I have to, to throw some shade at um, NYCFC, the soccer team um, that plays in Yankee Stadium, um, and their field is like 15 yards uh, narrower than everybody else's, which leads to some very bad soccer. Um, so I guess, I guess soccer does have a, uh, a range of dimensions that are acceptable, but I, that's, mm-hmm. that's not the point. I just had to make fun of them for playing on a baseball field and uh, it being terrible. Um, but no, I, I do love, yeah, like Silverstone specifically, like, it's it's the most british thing ever like maggots and beckets are corners you know cops corner like i, I uh, yeah cops uh-huh. that's where the, you know the the stuff happened with with max and lewis here but, but like every time they say maggots and beckets especially in in a british accent i'm i'm like like this is the most british thing i've ever yeah. heard of maggots yeah. and beckets and it it, it does it adds a, a lot of uh, a lot of character um, be, before we move on here, I did want to get your, your thoughts on, did, did you watch Monaco this year? No. So I was, I was trying to remember what was the first one. I think it was the hype around Monaco mm-hmm. just because it's a, it's probably, I don't know if you would say, is it, it's probably the most famous F1 race. Yeah. At least it seems to it's me. It's one like of the most the famous sporting events. Yeah, sure. So it was the hype around that, that I think finally got me to say, okay, I'm going to watch F1 here in the future. So I did not watch Monaco. I still haven't gone back to do it. The French Grand Prix was the first one that I had. So I think that was like two races after mm-hmm. Monaco. That was the first one that I watched. So I did not watch Monaco. Okay. I was just going to get your thoughts on that because it's like, it's the most famous, but objectively the race kind of stinks. Like you can't, <laughs> you can't pass like the only like real drama, like that, 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 
has happened. I mean, well, like Charles Leclerc was supposed to start on pole this year, which means he probably would have won because he can't overtake and crashed at the end of qualifying and they couldn't fix his car. So like that was dramatic. So he went from a race win to nothing. Um, but a few years ago, Daniel Ricardo was going to win the race and then Red Bull called him in, but didn't tell the mechanics that he was coming in. So they didn't have his tires ready. So he sat there for 25 seconds. Lewis Hamilton passed him and won the race in like 2018 maybe um but point being the race kind of stinks like there's no overtaking it's just like look at the pretty monaco hey look tom brady's on a yacht you know like serena williams is here everyone george lucas is here george lucas was at the qatar grand prix he's he's everywhere what is george lucas i thought george lucas just go to lucas like I, I was like, oh, there's a there's a British racing legend named George Lucas. That's who they're talking about. And looking at the screen, I was like, oh, that sir, that is that is uh, George Lucas, the George Dude, Lucas. I love it. I mean, I would if I was really into a sport though. Like that's kind of what, and I was un, I was filthy rich. I think I'd probably do what George Lucas does. I'd just show up. I'd call any garage that I wanted to, and I'd be like, let me hang out this weekend. Yeah, like Matthew McConaughey and Austin always always does that. It's always a, a good time. Did you see at the United States Grand Prix um, the the Megan the Stallion incident with Martin yes. Brundle on the grid yes, walk? Yes, I did. Thoughts? I, did. I don't want to lead you lead you in with the question here. Just the thoughts. No, that's fine. I thought um, I, I thought Martin was doing his job. Uh, that's it. Just kind of seems like that's his thing. Is he goes up and finds famous people just on the grid and starts asking them F one questions, and I, I mean, it, it just kind of stinks. He didn't get a great answer um, from, from Megan, but I thought her team kind of like freaked out a little bit. I thought it turned, I thought it, they just made it look way more dramatic than it needed to be. Cause she seemed to handle it like, Oh, sorry. Yeah. I don't have any, like, yeah, no, oh, I didn't write like, a rap. Bad, like, you, sorry, I, yeah. I didn't write a rap today ahead of this. My yeah. bad, which I, it was kind of funny that he was like, like, you're, do you have a freestyle rap? Yeah. Like that's what you're known for. And it's like, is that what she's known no, for? No, that's a know. bad question objectively, yeah. but he, his job is to stand there and just try to ask pointed questions to everybody he see who happens to walk by him. Cause he like, needs, he, well, he needs to get a good TV moment. Yes. And that's a great one. Like you got a, you got a racing rap for us yes. because you know, that would have been great. If she would have, if she would have dropped a couple lines right there, he would have minted, yeah. he would have minted a, a TV classic. So I don't blame, I was just like, oh, he's just doing his job, whatever. But her, like when they had swooped in and kind of like pushed him out, I was like, that just made it way more dramatic than it needed to be. I thought she was, it, she seemed really nice about kind of mm. tra- telling him to buzz off, but it, it just, it kind of got a, a little out of hand. Yeah. Martin Brundle um, doing the, the grid walk. I mean, I know it's celebrities, but uh, when, when it comes down to it, it, it's just, he's just supposed to stand there and get MOS <laughs> just until right. you know until the broadcast ends which is just like you know my personal hell um yeah right so tough tough job but he is he's normally like he's exceptionally well prepared for that he knows pretty much anybody that's walking on that um on that track whether they're you know known by the public or not um he does he does his homework um all right so before i let you go wanted to get your thoughts on this season and uh and you know the incredible title fight that we're seeing between um between max and lewis um we've had five changes um in the the lead in the drivers championship um so max leads by eight points uh mercedes leads the constructors by five points now i believe um that's been back and forth as well this is this is not normal lucas 
This is just, you know, I know this is your first year watching. This is this is not normal. So, so you know, don't don't expect this every time around. But how's how's it been? Uh, how's it been watching? It's kind of a shame that we can't expect this every time around because it is it is a tremendous amount of fun. It is a lot of fun. It, you know, it, it adds something to every race. How's it going to end up? I have so I, I personally loved it. Um, it's it has made it a lot very exciting. So I guess if I if I can reveal a sort of bias here, um, I, I always any new thing that I pick up, I always just root for greatness. So I want to watch Lewis Hamilton. Just I, I want him to stomp on these records. I I, I want to he watch. He stomped most of them already. He's already yeah right. And I realize I'm picking it up when he's already broken most of them. But I got to watch him win like the hundredth. Yeah. Grand Prix. And I'm yeah. like I want to see him do 150. I don't care how long it takes. Like I want to be here when to watch him do 150. So I, anything I pick up, and I, I know it feels like I'm rooting for the villain in a way. If you're like, can somebody other than this guy find no, me? But Max is the villain for a lot of people because Lewis so. is such a yeah. good guy. Like, And, I, you know, kind of getting back to the Netflix thing over for staff and being like, I don't want to talk to Netflix anymore because they kind of make me sound like a bad guy. But then in qualifying, he flips off Lewis Hamilton. And it's like, I kind of feel like you're just a bad guy. I kind yeah. of just feel like. You're you are the antagonist right now. So I, when you put anyone next to Lewis Hamilton, they're going to you would look like a bad guy. You know, if we if we put, you know, a chart of you and, you know, you and your beliefs and what you've done to help the world next to Lewis Hamilton, like, you know, yeah. anyone's going to look like a bad guy. So I think it's a little unfair to him, but I get it. He, he's the villain. Sorry to cut you off there. No, that's fine. So I so I want to see Lewis do it. And that's made it exciting that he's now in this position where he has to overcome the deficit. Like he is, he has no room to let Max get ahead of him in any race, no matter the point differential. Like he doesn't have any time for that. He's got to win. And that's what makes it really exciting to root for the, the driver that has to win. So um, in that regard, I really liked it. But I also think it exposes something about F1 that is just going to be jarring for an American audience is that it's not always like this. It doesn't always go to the final game of, of to decide who's going to win. You can always count on any other sport that you know we go through a, a sort of a playoff system to get to the final, final two teams. And they play through whether it's one game or seven games to decide once and for all who is going to win it. And that's how we've trained ourselves to think of sports and how the best is decided in this. And in Formula One, it and I feel like a lot of the big European sports, it's just not that way. I was going to these things soccer, are decided. Yeah. These things are sometimes decided months out from the final thing that's going to happen. And in a way, I think that's kind of lame. In a way, it's kind of lame. But one of my friends said, this is really exciting. Usually Mercedes has wrapped up the constructors championship by now. And he told me that in late August. Yeah. And I think who would ever watch this then? Why, why does anyone stick around? If they're just, if, if they're just going to win it like two thirds of the way through the year, why would, why does anyone stick around to the end? And I think that's probably a huge, like gaping hole in this thing that, for, at least from from Americans who have trained themselves to know, like sports are decided in a Super Bowl, right? Like it's just one only game, game that matters is the last one, right? Yeah. The only game that matters is the last one. That's gonna that's a hard thing to try to like get through your head and to and to retrain yourselves. So 
I guess in a way, it's good that it came in on this year, where it is looking more and more likely that it's going to be the last race of the the season that's going to decide it. So um, it's been it's been a tremendous thing to watch. But I guess if I do you mind if I I just have a couple more points yeah, on that. I guess. So what also makes what's also made F1 I think really great to watch is how easy a viewing experience it is. It is. 90 minutes on, on a clear, on a clear front to back race, 90 minutes, no commercials. You go, you're in and out and you're done. If they're, if they're racing in Europe or, or uh, Asia, you wake up early in the day on a Sunday, maybe 8am, maybe seven, 90 minutes and it's done. You have the rest of the yep. day to Good do to whatever, to do whatever you want. You are, it is such a it's such a tiny commitment of time, like, you know, all things considered. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a small commitment of time to invest into a really exciting viewing experience. Um, so that has been a major credit to that. Again, a jarring thing for an American audience to think like, where's the Bud Light commercial? Yeah. Are you kidding me? No one's calling a timeout with three laps left and we're going to get a, <laughs> yeah, you know, a commercial right, break here. Right. Like, um, so with a replay review, we're going to go to break and come back. Like, right. Yeah. The and then we're, yeah, we're going to do one lap and then go to another break. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so nothing like that. And that's been great. The other thing though, with this, and it's, it's great that, you know, there's this really exciting championship fight between a Mercedes driver and a Red Bull driver, but I don't know in what world it's, another driver from any other team that gets to be involved in that conversation. Why, why is it just these two teams? Why is it you can only ever count on one of these two drivers from either one of those teams? And it's not even just the team, but it's just Lewis and Max. They get first and they never give it up. No one can ever catch them. No one can do anything about it. And you're left for the rest of the race wondering like, oh, I guess who's going to get fourth? And that's the excitement that you get for the rest mm-hmm. of the day. That's I, maybe it's just me coming to F1 too late. Maybe it has always been this way. It has always just been a top heavy competition in formula one, but it kind of takes away from a little bit of the excitement, knowing that one of them is going to get the lead and they're just not going to give it up. Yeah. When you don't have a championship battle, where you know that first and first and second place matters so much then it can get a little stale at the top and what's happened is they so they have like eras in formula 1 of technical regulations so like what the cars can allowed to have like the aerodynamics and all that and they were supposed to change that before this season but because of covid they were like that's unrealistic to, because you know the factory workers can't you know million reasons why so they pushed it back a year so next year the new set of regulations kicks in. The cars are going to be completely different. You know, assume Mercedes and Red Bull um, will will always be at the top, um, or not always, but, you know, next year still be up at the top, especially because Mercedes has been able to focus more of their attention on the future because they didn't have to spend as much attention on the present because they had such a lead on everybody. Um, money has also been a big a big thing. You know, like Ferrari has so much money. Ferrari just gets money from the FIA because they are so, their relationship is so close and they benefit each other so much. So they've instituted um, cost caps for the teams that are gradually reducing the spending 
for teams to try to bring everyone closer to one number. So they're putting things in place to try to increase parity in the sport. Um, the cost stuff specifically, I think, will really, really help that. Um, it was, you know, a, a slight change, and then it's going to be a more dramatic change next year to the point where everyone should be spending within a reasonable range of each other as opposed to, like, Haas and Williams were spending, had like a tenth of the budget of Mercedes, and they've got a 100 employees, and Mercedes has a thousand employees working on this stuff every day. And it's just, it's just not realistic for them to be able to compete. It's the same as we see in soccer where it's like, you know, Sheffield Wednesday is not going to be able to compete against Manchester city with their, you know, billions of dollars that they spend. It's, it's a different sport essentially. And you have to kind of find those midfield battles um, that intrigue you. But I think the sport is, is trying to, uh, to handle that a little bit. I think they realized it went a little too far. Mercedes had kind of dominated an era unlike anything we've seen before. Um, sure. So they're also reducing the amount of wind tunnel time that you get um, or aerodynamics testing time that you get based on how well you finished the year before. So the team finishing last um, is going to get more aerodynamic testing time than the team that finishes first on a sliding scale. Um, throughout that so okay i don't want to get too much into all that but point being they hopefully they recognize that that's an issue and they are doing some things to to try to to fix it a little bit but i totally understand where like what's the point of watching this race if it's just the same guys and i guess i'm always left and you can maybe tell me this too is the conversation do do f does f1 crowd treat lewis hamilton like maybe tom brady where it's like is it he's just a really good driver or he's just on the best team of this era like is it like oh put lewis hamilton in a williams car and see how well he does like could uh, he still win first like does that conversation happen in f1 so a couple of things on this it's a loaded question unfortunately so 10 years ago i think it, it, it or not even 10 but maybe five six years ago i think most people would have been on board of just like oh lewis is great he's on a great team but you know that doesn't mean a lot of people have had great teams and they haven't won you know title after title after title twitter is just such a disgusting place (laughs) that everything that happens there are trolls being you know like with with some terrible nickname about how you know lewis fraudmilton you know like oh, those that's a good guys yeah. like and so there's always people that are discounting what he's doing there are always people that are saying that max is that max crashed into him on purpose because he's a terrible person and it doesn't help that most of the f1 people that i follow are british because you know they're they're tweeting in english which yeah. is um you know a key for me as someone who only speaks english <laughs> sure. and um, and so the, the, the term British bias gets brought up a lot amongst F1 media for people complaining that they're, that they're, you know, uh, what's the, the word I'm looking for? The just fanboys like for, for Lewis Hamilton, because he's their, you know, their, their guy from. Yeah, from sure. So it's, there's a lot of both, I guess, is the, the simple answer to that. I think most reasonable people that I've talked to that are not just trolls on Twitter believe that he is, Mercedes is far and away the best car, but also he is 
probably the best driver of all time. And it's that combination that has led him to about probably win the most titles of all time, similar to Tom Brady, where I would always say, you know, yeah, he's great. He would have won championships. I don't know if he would have won six if he wasn't on the Patriots all those years, you know, it's, it's sure. it kind of plays off each other. Toto Wolf is, a, is, is Bill Belichick, you know, they're just dominant with each other. Right. They, they just kind of found each other at the right time to build greatness. Yeah. It was, okay. it was the perfect storm. Yeah. I, I guess the other thing that always kind of like that, that chafes me about it too, is to think like there are great drivers that just, just drive for other teams and always end up in the middle of the pack. Curtis, did you know Sebastian Vettel has won four straight yeah. world titles? Why is he always in eighth to 14th place? I would say not great if car. you've won four straight, you're one of the best to ever do it. And it just doesn't make sense to me. It's just one of those things that like, how can you move from one place and go to another? And it's just that different for you. And and maybe I'm just, maybe it's like this in every sport. Maybe you just, you know, you were just in a place that worked for you really well and you achieved such great heights. Remember when Joe Montana was on the Chiefs? Right, right. But um, it just, maybe that's just what happens everywhere. But it's just another one of those things that it's like, if you do not, if you're not driving for one of two, maybe three different teams, you are nearly irrelevant. We'll we'll be really happy for you when you make a podium, because at least it's different. At least it's something we don't get to see. Fernando Alonso, you know, getting a podium yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's just another thing that I kind of always wonder with, with F1 and also, Sebastian Vettel, as last podium got taken away. I don't know if you were watching at that point because he oh right because he didn't have gas. a large enough fuel sample. Yeah, yeah, he he ran out of gas. He ran out of, he ran out of gas. Yeah, so, so. The, I mean, yeah, the easy answer is just that you know there aren't that many seats to go around. It's kind of a problem with the sport in general, where we like to tell ourselves as fans that that these are the twenty best drivers in the world. They are not the twenty best drivers in the world. Um, you know, the top guys are the top guys, but there is so the, the politics of it. I mean. Two of two of the drivers on the grid, their dads are are large owners in the teams, you know. And Nicholas Latifi, his dad, uh, also contributes an awful lot of money um, for him to have his seats. They call them pay drivers, um, and they're you know kind of looked looked down on. But that's that's three guys out of twenty that that just got there not on merit but on money. And, yeah, but and, that's just a reflection of life. That's, I mean, yes, it's a you're good not lesson getting, to you're picking people. it, picking it, picking it, picking industry in this world. It's the same thing. Yeah. I don't, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. But sports, because, I mean, it's fun to laugh. Usually different though. Like yeah. sports are like, if you can dunk a basketball and shoot a three as well as anyone in the world, they're top 20 in the world. Someone's going to pay you a lot of money to do it. And you're going to be able to live your dream. And sometimes it just doesn't work out. Like Sergio Perez almost didn't have a seat this year. Um, you know, all the Roman Grosjean almost died for Haas last year and then gets sent off to, to IndyCar where he seems to be having a, a, a great time. But Sebastian Vettel went to, he went to Ferrari thinking that he was going to return them to glory. And they thought, they thought he was going to return them to glory and he got close. Um, he got close. It didn't work out. And then once Ferrari, um, basically got caught cheating, um, and were punished and stopped being able to manipulate their fuel flow sensors, as they'd been doing, allegedly, um, they've never admitted it. Uh, the Ferrari engine stunk, and 
the Ferrari stunk and then Sebastian Vettel was screwed. And then he went to Aston Martin and their car stinks this year. So that's just kind of the, the way it goes when there's only four guys that, you know, that, that can realistically have a shot at a title, you know, because the, the two teams um, that are good enough, the two cars that are good enough. Well, we've got four world champions, you know, on the, on the, or, yeah, four world champions on the on the grid this year between Lewis Hamilton, Kimi Raikkonen, Fernando Alonso, um, Sebastian Vettel. Like, there's you know there's just not that many seats to go around. It's not you're not always gonna always gonna have a shot. But it's it's fun to watch those guys battle in the midfield just for the love of the sport. You know, is kind of how I sure. how I look at it. Sure. No, I'm with again. I think some of the best races have been those in which we saw it wasn't Lewis or Max up there. I mean, I think obviously Lewis would end up winning this race, but what was the, was it Russia? The really rainy track? Yeah, where Orlando, Orlando Norris yeah, tried to stay out. out on the slicks. And it was, I mean, one of, one of the best, it was such a, it was such a great moment. Cause I think, I mean, your reaction says it all. How many people just want to watch Lando Norris win? Like it everyone, would have been, been so everyone. great. It would have been everyone so great last to watch Everyone whose last name is do. not Hamilton or Verstappen, like yeah. would have been happy to watch that. And to have an, I, I Esteban mean, Ocon won a race this Est- year. Right. Um, Pierre Gasly last year at Monza. Like it's, I remember all these because they're yes. great. But because they're so rare, it is not one of the two people you expect to ever win it. And that's what makes them so memorable. And maybe in a way, it's bad that it's just memorable when one of two people don't win. Yeah, I can, I can see that argument for sure. But it's, it's the way I'm having to look at it, at least for this year in years past, totally. But this year it's like, we're, we're seeing Max Verstappen has been hailed as like the best driver of the generation, future world champion. Like he's the, he's the OG. Like people say that about Lando and George Russell, you know, future world champion. This he's, he's a stud, but like it was Max, like Max was out here in formula one when he was like 17 or 18, like youngest race winner at the time. Like he's, it's always been him. He's the guy that was going to win the next championship. And we're seeing him take that next step into like being the guy, not the future. He's here now. And we're seeing Lewis Hamilton. People think he's fallen off. No, he's still here now. Like, it's like, it was like if we got Tom Brady against Patrick Mahomes, like, you know, last year or the year before 23 times in a row, like Ed to like, all right, who's the best you guys, you guys, settle it 23 23 games between you know the bucks and the chiefs and and we'll see who uh who the best quarterback in the league is and that that's that's what it is right now for me does max though have to do the flat bills does he have to do a flat bill hat every time um i think i might like him very dutch okay (laughs) i think i might like him more if he didn't always do flat bill hats that is such an underrated point there, Lucas. I have never considered it, but I don't like it. I don't like it, and I've never liked it, but I've never really thought about how much I don't like it and whether or not how much more people would like him if he if he switched to a right. traditional brimmed cap. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that out in the universe, and we'll, we'll see who else is out there that feels this way. I'm, I'm, there are dozens of us. <laughs> there, dozens. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that are against Matt and his, his flax bill, flat bill hats. I, I, I'm since I, I've, I've always rooted for, for the Dutch. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a quarter Dutch, but like, you know, I'm whatever. 
Um, so I always, I grew up rooting for their soccer team. So I, I, I just, I have a, a, an attachment. And so I'm rooting for Max and the fact that I was the only one who on our podcast to pick Red Bull to win this year. Um, oh yeah. I bet because, you feel like yeah, validation also, is right around the corner. Before, um, before the, uh, what, which race was it? Was it Silverstone? Um, I think it was, it was Silverstone, um, where Lewis made up um all those all those points on max i think max had like a 27 point lead or something i think i declared it over at one point so i've got my my word is on the line now yeah yeah um and that was months ago so that red bull was looking good but that's the other good great thing about about formula one is how how quickly things can change when teams you know mercedes did something with their engines did something with their their wings and all of a sudden they are blowing away the field Lewis Hamilton was lapping cars on like lap 13 yesterday. It was disgusting. So it, it's, it's just been a, it, it's been a, a fun, fun, fun battle, but I am a, I am team max, but I will not be mad. If the, if my worst case scenario is watching the greatest of all time, when maybe his most impressive championship of his career at this age, um, then, you know, I think I'm living a pretty good life. I can't wait. I can't wait to see how it all this, this great culmination here. I did. I, I wanted to ask you, you said you didn't get, you, you're not too much into the, uh, the, the FIA and all the technical stuff yet. Um, just right. because you don't, you don't follow people, which, which takes away, I, I had, I had a question lined up, you know, you're an incredible investigative reporter and I wanted to, to get into, um, you know, possible corruption issues in the FIA and some of their decisions <laughs> and, uh, and behind closed doors and all that. So, you know, next time, uh, you know, we we'll, can get, we'll get it. Do we know the names of the stewards? I hear about these stewards yeah. a lot. Are there names? <laughs> do the stewards like... really exist? We don't know. No. So we know Michael Massey, the FIA. Yeah, I hear about it. Uh, yeah. I feel like he's the fall guy. I yeah. feel like Michael Massey is the person it's a that shadow they put government. out. Exactly. And he absorbs the hate of the, of the racing community for whatever he does. But he's just the guy that has to accept it. He doesn't actually get to make any decisions. The stewards are like the are like the group of people behind closed doors that like they actually get to they they're the puppet masters there. I I would assume who knows how deep it how deep it goes you know uh you know they it's a sport that that uh that has a, a rainbow flag hashtag we race as one and then um you know they're racing in Qatar and Saudi Arabia and and Saudi Russia. Arabia so right. you know you know money rules all uh we've seen a lot of this stuff in the past, even going back to like Ayrton Senna, there was some sketchy stuff where it definitely seemed like they were uh, trying to give the title to Alan Prost um, over Senna for a variety of reasons. Corruption is, is, uh, is nothing new here. So, I mean, that's kind of a, uh, kind of all the, all the talking points I had. Hmm. Has there ever been a major like media blown scandal in F1? Like I, right. I know in FIFA that was kind of, around the time that they awarded the 2022 world cup bid uh, yes and around then like is that sort of that leadership at least crumbled like has there been like a outside the lines led like like exposed exposure in f1 not as far as the governing bodies i don't okay. i don't believe um and i'll look into that but i i have not come across a story of the governing body kind of uh somebody going rogue and you know exposing secrets or, or how gotcha. things are done okay 
I will say there are some great F1 scandals um, that you should look into, though. Uh, there okay. was a, a deal with McLaren and somebody's wife was like was was stealing information about I think it was the Ferrari car um, like 15 years ago. Um, I mean, like like millions of dollars being exchanged by for by just just people like low level people like i think i think she worked at like a post office or something and came okay. ac- and happened to come across these these documents that she shouldn't have had access to and then was selling them to another team for a million dollars and okay. like why are and- you sending why are you sending your car information through the post office. So I think maybe her, I don't know if that was actually related to how she found the documents. I think like, why husband, am I stuffing, why am I stuffing an envelope with the blueprint of my engine? I, hey, I, I don't know. That feels like a hand delivery. Time. That feels like a, that feels like a knock on the door hand delivery kind of, kind of exchange. It certainly, it certainly should be. It was, it was something to do with like her husband worked for a team and either he had stolen them or he had gotten fired. I can't remember the details right now. I need to brush up on it, but I know okay. that, that was, right. I know that it was incredible. And, and I'm pretty sure somebody like a team got docked like a, a hundred points, like championship points because of it, like just at absolute craziness. So F1 has plenty of, uh, plenty of drama. Also that Ferrari engine stuff where they just yeah. hush, hush. Hey, um, we're going to, uh, you're going to fix this. Um, we're not going to tell anyone that anything was illegal. You're not going to tell anyone that anything was illegal, but, but you're going to, you're going to change this because we tell you to, and then your car is going to stink after you make this change. Um, but we're never going to say that what you were doing was illegal because Ferrari and the FIA are so close because you can't besmirch the Ferrari name, Like you can't have. But I, I, at that point, isn't it too late? Like we all think that Ferrari cheated. So yes. what's the like? It, the damage I feel like has already been done in that regard. I mean, in the eyes of the public, maybe, but it it just it, for me, it's just an example of like how you know how tight lipped they can be on on certain things, how shady these dealings are. Oh, I'm pretty sure Ferrari also paid like an undisclosed fine. Like they were. Yes. They so that was the like part that I always remember. They just they paid an undisclosed fine, which is I I mean that that is literal that literally sounds like hush money to me. Yes, it's, yeah, pay us this money, fix the illegal part, and then we'll never tell anyone that you guys were cheating because then we'd have to act. And, and that's that's where them not admitting it is got them out of the woods because if they admitted it, they would have had to strip championship points from Ferrari. They would have had to you know the the money that they received for finishing in whatever place in the constructors championship would have to be altered there'd be other teams asking questions and the other teams were asking questions but they're like we don't have to answer you because we never admitted any wrongdoing right um, and that's just how it's going to be and in all likelihood the FIA probably gave Ferrari the money to pay them with like it's it's disgusting how how the the contract between of the, like between Ferrari and the FIA versus all the other teams is fascinating and you're as a legal guy I'm sure like Look into that. They they've got their own deal for for receiving payments from the sport. Yeah. Like it's it's, it's the, a crazy partnership. Ferrari has the coolest looking team principal though. Oh, uh, Mattia Bonatti. Bonatti. That guy yeah. looks. Awesome. I when I the first time I saw him, I described him. I said, "Oh, look, it's Italian J.J. Abrams," and I've never been able <laughs> the to the glasses. It. It's the glasses. It's incredible. 
He's if, incredible. If, yeah, if we just let JJ go live in Italy, you know, on a beach, and he so you just you know let the hair go and got a nice yeah. tan. That's what he come back speaking as an Italian. Like, I love. That's awesome. He's awesome. It's 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 all I see. Yeah. Um. Other team team principals. I don't know. Christian Horner they doesn't look, really do. They it don't for look me. as cool. I mean, they don't look as cool. But really quickly, why does Christian Horner get to do all the interviews during the race? Why do they always bug him? Uh. Cause it's great television. Is he, it just yeah. always, he like, did he, how did he get the contract where it's like, you have to do all of the mid race interviews. Well, I think, it's I think a lot like, of teams wouldn't to want to, wouldn't want to, to be bothered as much, but he is Red Bull is often involved in the drama. That's the other aspect of it is that they're yeah. always, it, okay. it always involves them. And the other teams will be a little, you know, like careful about what they say because they might be launching an investigation on this later. You know, they've got plans. They want to, they're looking it over. They're trying to, you know, size it up. Christian Horner wants to get his, wants to get that opinion out to the public before anything official happens. He wants the people to hear him say, you know, I just thought it was a good racing. It was a racing incident and they should let it go because enough people will just have that stick in their mind that in the, you know, you know, public, domain that's that's going to be the perception in his mind sure. like he just wants to get that out there just constantly defending things before they're even really an issue like and he's willing to do it because christian horner loves to talk well i guess i can't blame him in that regard if you're going to be the only one to do it you might as well get in there i was i was disappointed i did see david beckham was at the race this weekend um, which got me thinking that, you know, uh, Posh Spice did not see her. We could have had oh, yeah. Gin, Ginger and Posh. Um, you know, Ginger's married to Christian Horner. Um, oh, I didn't I know, didn't know if you knew that. Oh, I um, did. No. Phenomenal. Yeah. No, it's, uh, they, they go to their house and, and drive to their earlier seasons of drive to survive. They've got a bunch of horses, you know, their little girls are riding. It's, it's, adorable. Oh, okay. it's adorable. Absolute power couple. She's talking about playing shows in Vegas. He's talking about gotcha. going to Brazil. It's, it's awesome. Power couple. So I was disappointed we didn't get a a little spice reunion, but well, yeah. Now that now that you mentioned that, I am too. Yeah, but we got George Lucas, so um, you know, <laughs> we'll always have George. We'll always have George. All right, that's uh, that's kind of all I had for you. Unless you got uh, any other any other points you wanted to get to, I'll let you go here. No, hey, look, I appreciate the time. I I, you know, I, I don't know how interesting my insight is into Formula One, but it is. It is terribly exciting. I can definitely see why people get really into this stuff. And uh, um, it's just sort of like giving me a new sort of appreciation and thought about like auto racing. And like, I just see it in a, in a totally different way now than I used to. Yeah. I, I've actually thought about watching NASCAR now. I haven't done it, but I've, I've, I've thought about it since getting into, <laughs> into Formula One. No, your, uh, your insight was great. Um, you know, I, as always, you're, uh, you're an exceptional uh, speaker, you know, great, great with your words and all that as, as a journalist. So, uh, no, I really, really appreciate the time. I thought it was a, a very interesting conversation. All right. Well, thanks, Curtis. I appreciate you having me. All right. Who, who's going to win the championship? Not who you're rooting for. Who's, who's going to win? I think, I, I think it's going to be Lewis. I think that he's just, I think that he has his eyes and Mercedes just they they're so close and they know they can't let it go. And they've just, they've been here so many times before that I, I just think they're going to do it. I think, I, I mean, if, if Brazil is any indication that they're willing to like that, he, that Lewis is this dedicated to doing it, 
and he's going to pull out every move that he knows to, to do it. And he just knows more moves than Max does. So I think, I think it's going to be him. Have they raced in Saudi Arabia before? Is this another first time? No. First time course. Lucas, this track is not even technically finished yet. Okay. So it is a first time. Yes. (laughs) Okay. They've got the Justin Bieber concert lined up. Jason Derulo, uh, Travis Porter. I don't know if that's a guy, um, but they had this big concert, all this stuff. No one thought to make sure the track was ready. So it's looking more ready now. But as of like a week ago, this track was still not done. The FIA so regulations the- say it has to be tested 90 days out. It has to be compliant. But money, you know? Yeah. So like what you're saying is one of the walls when a car hits might just be exposed as styrofoam. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Who, who knows what, what exactly is going on? Um, I would, I would, um, yeah, probably, I don't think anyone would be thrilled if we found out about some of the uh, labor violations that might be going on trying to get this thing finished in time. Um, as we saw with uh, the Qatari world cup venues. Um, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> the track's not finished and we're going to, we're going to race at 200 miles an hour on this, on this tarmac. Well, all right. We'll see. But anyway, my, uh, my pick is going to be uh pick is Lewis. All right. All right. You heard it here first. Lewis Hamilton, uh, 2021 champion, eighth, eighth championship, according to Lucas Geisler. I'm, I'm stick with my prediction of max. We'll, uh, catch you guys with a, uh, uh, an actual recap episode, um, from the, uh, Qatar Grand Prix, um, this weekend, get you guys ready for Saudi Arabia.